Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Give me $10.5 million for not working. What Deshaun was doing didn't make sense. If he got indicted and went to jail, you got nothing. He got everything he wanted. Yeah, you gonna get paid. Never been to Minnesota. Love Prince. Love Jimmy Jam Terry Lewis. Love Morris Day. We have trauma bonded with the Astros through the cheating scam. Miami is on fire. Check your pulse. It's football time. There are two teams at a minimum in each division that can win the Super Bowl. This is episode 250, and I do want to take an opportunity to say thank you. I've never had people just stand around, get dressed up, drive to the arena, pay lots of money to yell insults at me. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, one. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Mama, there goes that man. You both. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you have tuned in and are hanging out with us for this episode. And a big shout out to all the people listening to the podcast for the very first time. And also a big shout out to all the people who listen to each and every episode waiting to get that new episode notification. Shout out to you. And finally, shout out to all the people who tried malt liquor for the first time because of the bill. Billy D. Williams Coke 45 commercials. Welcome aboard. Great show for you this time out, and I'll tell you more about that in just a second. But first, if this is your first time, I want to tell you about ways that you can be interactive with us and be a part of the click part of the crew first and foremost you can join us on facebook the sports talk with devin wade group page you can be a part of the group and the fan page those are great ways to be interactive they're frequently posts from all over the place a lot of people from everywhere like to post things in addition to that i post poll questions from time to time and a reason for you to call now who are you gonna call you're gonna call the sports line 832-941-6614 we set up a 24-hour day sports line for your comments questions your suggestions anything and everything you want to leave on that line and you might just end up on the very next podcast we do have a website website down working on that more about that at some later date but nonetheless a great show this time out because we're going to talk about the final four with a duke blue devil our guy from the special teams unit daniel ewing in addition to that we're going to talk some hbcu history with former tennessee state head coach lc cole he'll give us some insight to a very historic uh, group of teams that he was a part of in the late 90s so that's coming up a very interesting conversation we have some sports e we have on the monoward for the big dummy of the episode and we'll hear from our resident dj dj anarchy and a whole lot more and so normally we get started with some headlines right and give you a rundown of the two or three things that stood out to me that I want to delve into a little bit. But this time, with all that's going on in the world of sports slash entertainment or entertainment slash a little bit of sports, uh, let's start with the Lamont 
Award. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preservers and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award goes to the player team entity, someone in or around the world of sports we deem to be the big dummy of the episode now and if you listen it's it's one of our more popular segments everybody asks me about oh the lamont award who's gonna get the lamont award i have a lamont award suggestion for you well we normally put that at the very end of the show but that being said we have some great conversations coming up so i wanted to get this out of the way first so obviously you know it's about will smith slapping chris rock i want to ask you guys a question what do you think i'm going to fall on this one Think about it. What, what do you think? Well, I'll tell you. So for just about my entire adult life, I've been behind a microphone. I've had an opportunity to talk for hours and hours and hours about a lot of different things and about a lot of different people. And I understood pretty early on that what you say in the studio or behind a microphone could have some real world consequences. And that being said, I mean, I've explained that if you say the wrong thing about the wrong person, you could get smacked. I mean, it's a possibility in the real world. It can happen. People act like it can't happen. It's unacceptable when it happens, but it can happen. So for that reason, I try. I try really, really hard not to get too personal. I try. Uh, maybe I get in that gray area sometimes. But uh, when I talk about athletes and entertainers, I try not to get too, too personal. Because, again, I assume that whoever I'm talking about is listening or their people are listening. If it comes to something, then I want to feel justified in defending myself against whatever I said. But, of course, if you talk long enough, you're going to make a mistake and say some things you shouldn't say. Or if you're a comedian, sometimes you're going to joke in a way that you shouldn't joke. So Will Smith, here's the joke. He giggles about the joke initially. Then he looks over at his wife and his wife, Jada Pinkett, is upset. And he responds in a way that has nothing, almost zero to do with Chris Rock. And I'm going to tell you who you can blame for why Will Smith did what he did. And I know there are a lot of think pieces out there and folks are, are making this about 8 million things when it's really this simple. You know who I blame? I blame Black Twitter because Black Twitter has been grilling and roasting Jada Pinkett and Will Smith for years and i'm talking about some of the most hilarious brutal things that you ever want to see and those folks know about that they're not that insulated that they don't know what's being said about them they've seen the gifts and the memes they've seen all of those things they've seen that or somebody's told them about it and i can imagine that over time that would wear on you and the reason why twitter has been able to go in on them and have fun with them and make jokes about them is because they live a extremely open lifestyle and what i mean by that is they overshare there are things that i know about jada pinkett smith that i shouldn't know i just i, I shouldn't know about you know, her adoration and her, the love of her life is Tupac. And I shouldn't know about her extramarital affairs with friend, her son's friend. I shouldn't know about this. But, of course, the Red Table Talk and, and Will has been open. They are very, very open. And when you do that, people are going to, it's going to be open season. So Twitter's gone in on them, but it manifested itself. And, and again, I really, really believe that that's the case. But it manifested itself. When Will went up and slapped Chris Rock. 
Now, of course, Chris probably didn't win uh, the Smiths over with a 2016 joke where he talked about how she was essentially irrelevant in boycotting the Oscars. That was the Oscar So White campaign where Will didn't get nominated. A lot of black people who were deserving didn't get nominated. And there was a movement to boycott the Oscars with the hashtag Oscars So White. And, of course, he said, look, she wasn't invited anyway. And, and that was a really almost a worse shot. To me, that was a worse shot than the G.I. Jane joke. Now, people will point to the fact that she has alopecia. Of all the things that I've known about Jada Pinkett because of Jada Pinkett, I have never been to a Wikipedia page. But from all of the things that I know about Jada Pinkett because of Jada Pinkett, I did not know she had alopecia. And I did see a clip recently where she said she was proud of her bald head. So while I'm sure that they can rally behind the alopecia, I think that it goes deeper than that. And I think for Will Smith, this is what it reminded me of. One day I was watching a bunch of kids picking on this one kid or, or a bigger kid picking on a, a kid, well, maybe not a smaller kid, but a kid he could whoop. And the kid sort of looked around at the people who were talking noise to him. And he found the one kid in the corner he thought he could whoop. And he said, well, what are you laughing at? And so then he, he focused all his anger on a guy that really didn't say anything, but he was just amused by the insults being hurled at the young man. So Will Smith is probably mad at a bunch of people and upset and feeling like a doormat. And so it manifested itself in doing what he did. It was awful. It was bad. It was bad because you, you just, you can't do it. And what surprises me is that everybody is advocating violence. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people are like, Hey, you defend your wife. Well, there's ways to do that. And there are ways to handle that in a whole different situation. Even if you want to necessarily be violent. So I've said this also. I say this all the time. Understand that if you do that, if you're Will Smith, then you got to take your case. You have to TYC. If, the, if this is the path you've chosen, then you accept all the consequences that come with it. If that means whatever, he's not going to lose the Oscar, but he may get banned for a couple of years or whatever. Whatever they do, whatever happens, even if he went to jail, just go proudly because that was the choice you made. You opted for violence. And here's the other thing. People are saying, well, they said it about my wife. Well, okay, your wife is probably a very private person. We don't know her. So if Chris Rock gets up in front of 50 million people and then, you know, tells a joke about your wife, that's a whole different thing than being a public figure. These folks know each other. And, I mean, some of the, the things about being uh, defending your spouse, I mean, I'm with all of that. But this is a public figure that put her life out there. And I didn't, I mean, the joke was corny. I didn't think the joke was very funny. I think it was low-hanging fruit. I didn't think it was like it went after her or criticized her look or whatever. It was just a stupid joke. And it was in reference to a movie. You were at the Oscars. That was all about movies. So what do you do with Will? Uh, again, you don't take the Oscar from him. You maybe suspend him. I mean, Chris Rock, I'm telling you, man, I hope that we see that special and let's see if he has something to say about that situation. But uh, he handled the situation appropriately. And again, I'm not going to beat up on Will like some people are because look, the pressure is so real. We could never understand. We don't understand the pressure. 
but it would be hard to walk around and be the butt of everybody's joke. And Will and Jade have done that, but a part of that is because they have been too open about their lifestyle. And when you do that, one of the first rules is don't leave the house. Keep home, home. Whatever happens in the house stays in the house. And they've never lived their life like that. And hence, we know so much more about him. I think Will is is the same good guy that he was before. I just think that he looked around. All the big boys were insulting him. So he found the guy in the corner and focused all his energy on him. And for that reason, Will Smith, you are a big dummy. You big dummy. (laughs) Now, this thing has divided people in so many ways. Everybody is looking for their side. Everybody, they're not looking at it with nuance. So everybody, if if you say something that they don't like, oh, no, you know, like they tried to cancel Zoe Kravitz or something. Uh, and, And Jim Carrey and other people who've been critical of Will Smith. I just think. When you look at the situation, what is a a big problem in our communities? It's a lot of violence. We need to look at that and not normalize violence. And it's not just in our community, but I'm concerned about our community. We have to not respond to things in a violent way. I mean, so many people now, if they get offended, they're grabbing guns. You know, and, and these are teenagers doing this. We, I live in Houston, so it's gun violence all over the place because a lot of this stuff stems from just something somebody said, you know, and, and it escalates in the, to places that it doesn't need to go. So while, yeah, you want to advocate him defending his wife, you cannot, you cannot defend violence. So I hope he works whatever it is he needs to work. I hope that gets worked out for him. And uh, But it was a bad, bad look. And Chris Rock, I mean, these guys are mega rich. They'll be okay. I mean, they're not going to lose their careers. They're not going to be canceled, either one of them. So it is what it is. And uh, with that, let's get into the sports side of things with some headlines. In headlines, it looks like Bruce Arians is moving up to the front office and Todd Bowles is taking over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as head coach. Wow, this is a surprising turn of events. Does it have something to do with Arians' health? I don't know. This just broke, so uh, we have to digest that and delve into it a little bit more, but that's happening. So that's a huge headline. What does that mean for Tom Brady and the rest of that Tampa Bay Buccaneers team? We'll have to find out. The other thing is the Final Four. And, of course, I'm going to talk to our very own Daniel Ewing about the North Carolina-Duke matchup, probably the highest-rated game in many, many years, I predict. I predict a lot of people are going to tune in. I mean, the entire you might as well just shut North Carolina down, the whole state. So we're going to talk about that. But I do want to talk about the conclusion of the basketball season for the city of Houston and how much fun it was. Texas Southern, of course, winning the SWAG tournament and going and winning the first-round game of the NCAA tournament. They gave me a lot of joy. Uh, The Prairie View games on the road and here where you had over 7,000, close to 8,000 folks that attended that basketball game, the energy, all the excitement around that program, that brought me a lot of enjoyment. And also this run by the University of Houston Cougars brought me a lot of joy it was really exciting to watch them because of the kind of team they are 
This team was just super tenacious. They lose to Villanova on a night where they went one for 20 from three-point land. Kyler Edwards struggled, and we talked about Twitter. Twitter kind of crushed him. I, I put it out there, hey, we need to protect this guy. He's a kid. He's 22. He just had an off night. He didn't want to have an off night. He didn't want to have the worst game in his career in the, the Elite Eight. He didn't want that to happen. But with all of that, and Villanova, perfect from the free throw line, 15 of 15 or something like that. U of H missed some free throws. They could not make shots. But their defense was so good that they had an opportunity to win that game. And I just think, man, if they could have hit any threes at all, they could have beat them by 15. They were that good defensively. I thought the only thing, and again, I'm not here to second guess Kelvin Sampson. He certainly is the dude. Uh, lead eight and then a final four appearance. He is a, a Hall of Fame coach on the college level. No doubt about that. But I would have put Carlton in down the stretch and tried to get something going in the paint. Carlton uh, is a guy that can score down low. But I hear from Chris Gardner and other folks who know that U of H has some super talented players coming next year. And they get Marcus Sasser back and Mark back. So they get some offense back. But the defensive effort is so impressive to watch. It's the level of concentration. It's making teams work constantly and Villanova was probably the worst matchup for them because that is a patient team they uh, keep the ball longer than any other team they hit all of their free throws so they they don't get frustrated if they can't get a shot off in the first 10-15 seconds of the shot clock they like to have possession of the basketball but U of H made them work for everything and they move on to the final four to take on Kansas Kansas I think is going to win it all Everybody wants the fairy tale ending with Coach Mike Krzyzewski in his last season at Duke, Coach K. I don't think it's happening. But who knows? At this point, anybody can win. I think North Carolina looked really good in a matchup they should have won. And, of course, we'll have to see. Anything can happen in this rivalry game, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, baseball's around the corner. We'll get into some of that. We think, or I think, or it's been thrown out there, that Fambra Valdez will probably be the opening day starter for the Houston Astros. Justin Verlander is looking amazing, so that's good. And the team is picking up the pieces, probably a little bit quicker than the fans. They're picking up the pieces of losing Carlos Correa. I think they knew a long time before we knew that that was going to happen. So that happened. Also, NFL rules, a big deal with NFL rules, where the overtime in the playoffs has changed. Now both teams get possession, at least one possession of the football in the postseason. So even if a team goes down and scores a touchdown like Kansas City did, Buffalo would have an opportunity to get the ball back, even if it was a touchdown. Previously, if it was a field goal, you get the ball back. If the team you kick off to scores a touchdown, then, of course, you don't get the ball back. I think this was a perfect answer. It won't happen in the regular season, and that's fine. But for the postseason, and it's not fine for the regular season, but really for the postseason, it is a, a perfect way to deal with that situation because both offenses have to have the opportunity to possess the football. I just think that that was so stupid because if if it's a shootout like it was Kansas City-Buffalo, 
the team that gets the ball in overtime. I, I think if Buffalo would have won the coin toss, they would have won the game against Kansas City. There's that. So with that, we like to do some stuff with athletes off the field and athletes and entertainment. And so with that, we bring in Life on Lock with Sports E. This week in Sports E. Entertainment. is for entertainment. I hope your day is going well and just got a little better now that you're listening to Sports E with Life on Lock. So back in 2020, Jalen Ramsey and Golden Tate got into a huge brawl after the Rams beat the Giants that resulted in a huge pileup between both teams' midfield. But the fight was not about who won the game. It was actually about the fact that Ramsey broke up with Tate's sister. So for a little backstory, Jalen Ramsey and Breonna Tate were in a long-term relationship that ended while Tate was pregnant with their second child in 2019. Now shortly after, after Ramsey went Instagram official with the Las Vegas Raiders dancer, which left Golden Tate pretty upset. Now, after two years, Ramsey was ready to sit down with the Pivot podcast to finally speak about the infamous brawl, where he states that their altercation was inevitable. Now, even though Ramsey assured the listeners and the people at the podcast that the former couple agreed that they were better off as friends, he knew that the public back and forth between him and Tate, that the two were eventually going to end up in blows. Now, speaking of blows, I'm sure that everybody on the planet knows about the altercation between Will Smith and Chris Rock. Now, this incident has caused many debates both on and offline and many have spoken out about the situation, including many notable people, but that also includes notable athletes and sports commentators. So let's hear a little bit about what they've had to say about it. NFL Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp said that if he were in that situation, he would have definitely retaliated and stated that he believes Will's anger was misguided. Former NBA star Charlie Villanueva, who also struggles with alopecia, stated that even though he does not condone violence he's proud of will for standing with his wife he also stated that he knows what jada is going through and can understand why will reacted the way he did now oj simpson stated that if he was in that situation he would have probably gotten life in prison without parole which you know many had many opinions about him saying that but fighter and youtuber jake paul said that he would offer both actors 15 million dollars to take their beef to the boxing ring but what do you guys think which athlete do you all agree with in this situation. Call in and let us know and be sure to meet us right here next week for more of your latest and greatest in sports entertainment news with Sports E with Life on Lock. I want to thank Life on Lock for that. And a lot of people do have something to say about that entire situation. But what do you have to say? Give us a call on the sports line, 832-941-6614. I'm really interested in your take and your take on my take. So 832-941-6614. Leave a message and you very well may be on the very next podcast. You know what? Did I tell you guys that I interviewed, uh, I had a chance to interview Jada Pinkett? Back in the day, I was writing for a newspaper, and she was promoting uh, "Low Down Dirty Shame" with Marlon, not Marlon, with uh, Damon, not Damon. Who is the Wayans? The big Wayans, the main Wayans, Keenan Ivory, Keenan Ivory Wayans. They were here at the, I want to say, the Omni Hotel, and we were in this room, a boardroom or meeting room. It was her, Keenan, and about three or four other media members and i will say this and i know that please believe me i I am a very humble guy but i felt a vibe from her back then but i was different i mean you know i was young and articulate and 
had a nice smile. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't think, I mean, part of that was just the business of doing press. But yeah, yeah, that happened. Uh, also, I heard about the Golden Tate thing back in the, a couple years ago. Didn't uh, shine a nice light on Jalen Ramsey, but nothing Jalen Ramsey does other than play cornerback for the Los Angeles Rams makes him appealing. From, you know, his public image needs a lot of work. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just saying his image is not good. And the way he did what he did wasn't a good look. And then, of course, they had a brawl. Maybe he's grown from it. Maybe not. With that, going to take a brief time out. Come back. We have some fun stuff coming up for you, including a conversation with Daniel Ewing from the Special Teams Unit and a conversation about HBCU history with L.C. Cole. All that and more. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anyway. You get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance, and finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages 6 weeks to 5 years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. It's Shelly Wade, and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. Welcome back. We are about to shift gears now and talk about some basketball, some college basketball, some North Carolina basketball. Want to bring in our guy from special teams unit, Daniel Ewing. Of course, he's a Duke Blue Devil. We talked to him recently about his trip to Cameron Indoor, where Coach K coached his final game ever in a loss to North Carolina. This matchup is huge. It's so big. I don't think people around the country understand this. I have connections to North Carolina. I had connections to North Carolina. Uh, My best friend is from North Carolina. And they're going to shut the state down. It's going to be a great matchup in the Final Four. And I look forward to that and want to get his thoughts on that and more. He is our guy, Daniel Ewing. Back on board from the special teams unit, our guy, former NBA player, former Duke Blue Devil and international basketball player, Daniel Ewing. How are you this afternoon? Devin, man, I'm good, man. It's always a pleasure. Well, you must be on pins and needles heading into the Final Four on Saturday, and I want to talk about that. But how does it feel? Just, just what are you feeling like leading into Saturday night's basketball game between Duke and North Carolina? Man, I'm, I'm anxious. I wouldn't say pins and needles, though, but I'm anxious, man. I, uh, just understanding the what this is and what this means. Like, this is by far the most crucial UNC-Duke game that's ever taken place. 
Yeah, and, and I want to uh, get into all of that because there's so many levels and layers to this matchup, and, and I want to get to all of those. But before I do that, I do want to ask you about the University of Houston going down in the Elite Eight versus Villanova. What were your thoughts on U of H's season, for one, and then sort of their exit at, at the Elite Eight? Man, considering what U of H went through earlier in the season, losing Sasser and losing Mark to their top returning players, top scorers for their team, and for them to be able to keep things together, guys step in and next man up mentality and keep the keep the ball rolling, and those guys have a chance to make it to a Final Four. And I thought they had a, a great season. Of course, they wanted to continue playing, but they had a they had a tremendous season, man, considering all the stuff that they went through. So on the other side from Duke, North Carolina, you have Villanova and you have Kansas. Uh, how do you like the other half of that matchup? Obviously, uh, the second leading scorer for Villanova, he goes down with looked like a, a ruptured Achilles. I don't know what the official word is on that, but he's not available. What are your thoughts on that matchup? I mean, it can go either way. Both programs have a lot of history and, and have championship pedigree. But yeah, Villanova definitely is taking a, that's a tough, tough break for them, considering the circumstances of, of losing one of their top players going into the final four. So they're going to have to find some guys to step up, which which I think they will. I mean, that's just the way their program is built. Uh, guys step in that we don't know about, haven't heard about and end up making big time plays and, and you know, and, and being being impactful for that program. But I think it's I think it is going to be I think it's a great final four. I think it's set up for some 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 classic great games that we'll see this weekend. What do you think of the entire tournament leading into the final four and the final two games of this tournament? It's been honestly, it's been much better than than I expected it to be. I thought it would be and it has been a little wacky, but in, in a good way. Uh, but I thought it would be like way, way wacky. It's just a lot of disappointing performances, uh, you know, teams not really living up to their expectations. But it's been more exciting than I thought it would be. Uh, you had, you know, you had your Cinderella story and St. Peter's and, and what they was able to do. And then obviously leading up to, you know, this Duke Carolina game. Like, like I said, that's it's something that we haven't seen before in the tournament of two programs of, of that magnitude being in the same conference. And they've never met in the in the tournament before, and just so happened, the first time that it that it happens is you know is in Coach K's final run. It's turned out to be a pretty special, uh, pretty special March Madness. Was there a team that was the most disappointing? Because I think everybody kind of can agree that St. Peter's was the biggest surprise. But who was the biggest disappointment? Was it Gonzaga? Was it Arizona? What, what was it? Baylor? Who, who, in your opinion, who was the biggest disappointment in coming into this tournament? For me, I would say it was Gonzaga. My thoughts about the tournament going in was that you know they was the favorites having the experience and having the talent coming back and, you know, their chances of winning it were, were very high. And uh, I was looking for them like, hey, this is the year. Like, if you guys don't win it this year, just my thoughts, my opinion. Like, if Gonzaga doesn't win it this year, they might not ever win it. Consider, you know, just considering, like I said, it was a lot of good teams going into the tournament, but there was not, like, any one or two, like, great teams, like, in past couple of years. Like, last year, Baylor had a really, really good team, like, really good. Uh, Gonzaga had a really, really good team. You know, it wasn't that this year. Teams are good, but they're not really, really good. Uh, you have some teams playing really well at this time of year. 
And so that's kind of how, how I evaluated the tournament going in, you know, at the start of everything. What do you think is the deal with Gonzaga? Because some people try to say, well, they play in a soft conference, but they play such a tough non-conference schedule. Is it just one of those things? It's just a tournament thing? Because, I mean, obviously we saw with U of H never going – I mean, went to five uh, Final Fours and, and – and, well, six now, but uh, six Final Fours and never winning at all. Is it just a tournament thing? Or is it something about the Gonzaga program that doesn't allow them to have tournament success? I can't say because, I mean, you know, before the last couple – I mean, they, they made it to a national championship game and, you know, came, and came up short. They have what it takes. You know, they have the talent. They have a great coach. Have a great program. It's just you know, you know, people don't understand how hard it is to to win, let alone uh, make it to the final four, let alone win the national championship. Like, man, everything has to. A lot of things have to go right for you, right? The ball has to bounce your way in a lot of ways, you know, to win a national championship. Well, let's get to the game that is the most historic. And when I think about sports rivalries on the college level, or, or even you know all the way through, I mean, man, that Duke Carolina has to be up there. It's in the top two or three for sure, and it may be the the greatest rivalry in sports. I mean, you got Alabama Auburn. You know, I guess if you want to get sentimental, Army Navy. There are you know there are other big rivalries, but I mean the history between these two programs is like nothing else. And the last time we talked to you, you talked about people not being able to really understand the magnitude of what this rivalry means until you're in North Carolina. What do you think this means for the folks in North Carolina awaiting this matchup in the semifinals? This is like for all the marbles, you know, I mean, it's not, but it is, you know, cause this is not the championship game. This is the semifinals, but, the bragging rights part of it, like this is for all the marbles. Who wins this game basically gets to talk smack and talk crazy to the to the other opponent for for a very long time. Like I said, the magnitude of, of what's what's taking place here. You have two teams playing each other, trying to make it to a national championship. It's on the, the hinges of Coach K's last last season as a coach. And it's just so much. The first time these two teams have met. Like you said, already the tradition and history that goes that we already know about. And then just the, the storyline of the season for both teams, you know, Carolina coming in to Duke uh, to beat Coach K, on, you know, at, at Duke, the last his last home game. Like a lot of stuff has taken place. So the stage is set for an epic night, I believe. So I want to talk about the transformation in these teams because, you know, North Carolina was on the brink of disaster versus Baylor. I mean, you up 25, and then they force you in, into overtime. But both of these teams have changed so much over the last few weeks. What is the biggest change you've seen? And, and I know you're biased, but you put your, your neutral hat on for a second. What's the, 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 some of the biggest observations you have from both of these teams over the last three weeks? Honestly, uh, I think on both sides. You know, both teams have talent. You know, obviously, like to Carolina, I, nobody, nobody saw Carolina be in this position, you know, just based on Duke's talent. You know, some people thought that they might be able to make a final run based on the talent that they had. But nobody predicted Carolina to be a Final Four championship contending team this year. I just think both teams hit their stride at the right time. And I think it, Carolina, it might have started with the Duke game, you know, building their confidence, uh, going into the, you know, winning that game, getting prepared for the tournament. And then with Duke, I think it started with losing to Carolina and then also uh, falling short in the ACC tournament 
that got you know got guys back on you know got their got you know, kind of changed their mindset about you know what's about to take place and how can we be better and make the most out of this season going forward. So when you look at the matchup, uh, Benchero is the guy that really has to get going for you guys. Who else on the Duke side will be a guy you'll have to count on uh, if you're going to beat North Carolina? Uh, I think Jeremy Roach, who has been playing phenomenal throughout the tournament. I mean, if he continues to be able to put pressure on the defense, make plays off the dribble like he's been making for himself and for the team, uh, I think that's going to be huge. If he continues to play the way he's played, and then, like I said, other guys are going to do what they do, but it's going to have to be a collective effort. You know, we can't just rely on Apollo to to carry the load. Everybody's going to have to chip in and you know and make some big plays throughout the game to make this happen. You look at the North Carolina side. You have uh, Baycott and Manic and uh, R.J. Davis. I mean, you have some guys on that side. Last time they played, you have four guys on the UNC side that score uh, twenty yeah. or more. Uh, what do you see when you look at that North Carolina team, and, and who has to get off for them to uh, come out victorious? Like I said, they they have the experience, they have the size, and and they're playing well. Uh, you got you know you got your your guard play and Caleb Love. I think he's he's been playing really well since the tournament. Uh, Baycott, you know he, he's a handful down low. When you, if he gets going, the big man shooter, you you have to count for him as well with his experience and his ability. You know to step out and shoot the three. They have some pieces that could make it tough as they as they show in the last game. Like you said, they had four guys with twenty or more points in Cameron, so they're going to come in the game confident and and trying to. Uh, relive the way they played, you know, at, at in Cameron the last time. So let me ask you, okay, in, in the first game between these two, Duke just went in uh, to the Dean Dome and just ran away yes. with it. And, right. and then, of course, they, they won by 20, and then they come back at home and lose by 13. And, and a lot of people dismissed that North Carolina win because of all the pomp and circumstance surrounding Coach K's uh, final game at, at Cameron Indoor. I mean, was that a, just a, a freak situation, or can Carolina actually really come back and win again versus Duke? I mean, obviously – it's the tournament. So, yes, Carolina, I mean, you know, anything can happen. I think Duke is actually the better team. But, you know, Carolina is going to have something to say about that for sure. And 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 they have the right to. Basically, like I said, they, they came in and smacked, smacked us in the mouth, you know, the final game at home at Duke. But I think Duke is uh, just unbiasedly the better team. But, you know, it has to be shown Saturday, Saturday night. It has, to, it has to be shown. So how, would, how are you watching the game? I mean, you say you, you're a little anxious, a lot of energy there. How are you watching it? Do you watch it by yourself? Do you Are you going to get with your boys? What? How, how are you going to uh, take in this historic game? Uh, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. I'll probably watch with a couple of fellas. Or, you know, it just, just depends on the day and what's happening. Uh, so, uh, do do you get nervous for big game? I mean, maybe no, well, no, I'm not, not even I, for no. this one? Not even for Coach no, K's? I didn't. Look, I, and and I've never, I've only been nervous one time in my life playing the game of basketball myself as a player. Right. And and, and it wasn't a college game. Uh, so no, I, I would, I won't be nervous. I'm anxious and and excited to to get for Saturday to get here, you know, to get the action started and 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 to get into it. But no, I won't be nervous at all. Have you spoken to anyone in Carolina that's in the epicenter of all of this? Because I'm sure that uh, this is all that anybody's talking about. 
No, actually, I haven't. I mean, besides, you know, a couple of coaches on staff, uh, you know, just texting them, you know, congratulations and happy for them. But now I haven't talked to none of my, you know, my good friends that's actually back in Durham about it. You may get in the car and, and ride down there Saturday. Hey, you, hey New Orleans in that far? <laughs> you're right. I'm, it, I might. It, it might. I might end up in 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 the place. I might end up in the building, man. So. So let me ask see. you this, and I know ultimately you want to win a national championship. But would you be okay if you don't win a championship, but you beat North Carolina? Because some people say that they would rather beat North Carolina in the tournament than be the national champs. What's your thought on that? No, I mean, honestly, just based on what's the storyline of the season. Like, yes, this is a must-win game. Like, it's a must-win game. How you know what they what they did to us at home? How they celebrate it. It's a, you know what I'm saying? Just the the rivalry. Like this is a must win game for both teams. But I didn't go to the other school, so I'm not worried about them. So, <laughs> but this that this is a must win game. Like this is like I said, like this really this is really for all the marbles. Do you uh, think this these this team, this Duke team, pretty young, you think they can step up and meet the moment? Because they fell short in the, the last game at Cameron. Can they step up and, and get it done with all of this pressure on them? I think so. I think so because they know what that feels like now. Like before, I think that's kind of why they feel short the, the first time, you know, with the last home game winning for coach. Because they nobody on that team has ever been through a moment like that. Like everything that probably went on that week, all the media, you know, all, what, no, none of those guys have, it's no experienced guys that's been through those, any of those type of moments or any of those type of events, you know, to prepare the other guys who, for what to expect, what, to, you know, so now that they, they've been through that, they, they, Tasted and felt, you know, the failure and the disappointment of not meeting expectations. I, I think for sure they're prepared for for this moment that's coming up Saturday. And finally, uh, how do you think the game will play out? And give me a prediction. Give me a score. Man, that's tough. That's tough because you said you have you have two. The first matchup at at UNC at at the Dean Dome, we we went in there handle business, smacked them up real good, and then they come back and you know kind of handed to us. So. Like I said, I think we're the better team. If if our team can play like they they've been playing throughout the tournament, and I think it'll be a close game. Honestly, I do. It won't be a blowout. I think it'll be like I said. I think it'll be a close game. Uh, you very seldom see what happened the first time we met, where you know a Duke and Carolina team there was a blowout in in that rivalry game. You very seldom see that. So I think it'll be a close game, man. Uh, it's a lot on the line for both teams. Pride, tradition, chance for a national championship is at stake. Like I. I think both teams are going to lay it out online. I think it'll be close. Uh, I had to give you a score. Is it going to be in the, in the 90s or are we going back nah, to the 70s? Nah, I think it'll be like, yeah, I think it'll be close. I, I don't know. I mean, because both teams kind of like, to, they try to like to get up and down. It's just a matter of who, being that guys being able to make plays and make shots. I think it'd be more so, I think it'd be in the 70s. If you had to pick one to win it all, uh, next Tuesday, who, who will be the national champs? I gotta go with our guys. We we here, right? <laughs> we made it this far. Like honestly, like we made it this far. I gotta I gotta ride with the Blue Devils. We made it this far. This set up to be a a historic season and a fairy tale ending for Coach K, right. right? Right, right. So why not? Why not? Why not believe that it can happen? We here. Yeah, right? and I would imagine if they they do win, you may make your way down for the parade. <laughs> you talk about Man. a celebration in uh, in Durham, boy. Wouldn't that be something? And that, like I said, that'd be the the one of the most spectacular endings of a career that you could think of. But you know, like I said, because we know this is the end. So like with Jordan, he won you know three in a row, 
took some time off, come back on. Well, he didn't announce that that was going to be his last season, you know, after the, the second three-peat, you know. So it's a little like we know this is Coach K's last season. So for him to be able to be in this moment is already a big-time big deal. But if, if they can cap it off with a national championship, man, that's that's like one of the the greatest – the greatest seasons a, a player or coach could ever could ever have, knowing that this is their last. Well, hey man, continued success to your Duke Blue Devils, and uh, it should be a very very fun night uh, for both games. Both games going to be pretty good, and but I, I think the whole sports world will be tuned into that game Saturday night from New Orleans in the Final Four. Uh, and uh, of course, we look forward to talking to you. How can folks reach you on social media? Catch me mostly on Instagram at Mr. Daniel Ewing. Uh, that's MR and my name, Daniel Ewing, and Twitter the same. We certainly appreciate it, and we'll, we'll catch up with you real soon. All right, man. Appreciate it as always. Good talking to you. For past episodes or more content, go to WaysWordProductions.com. I want to thank our guy, Daniel Ewing, and boy, what a Final Four. I'm looking forward to it. Love the Final Four, one of my favorite sporting events every single year, although it's sort of faded because you don't know anybody anymore because they come and go so frequently. And now with the transfer portal, you will never get a chance to know these guys. But nonetheless, it should be a great weekend of basketball. Is that the greatest rivalry in sports? Let me know what you think. 832-941-6614, Alabama-Auburn. Texas, Texas A&M? I don't know about that one. <laughs> USC, UCLA? Nah, nah, they don't care enough. Uh, Michigan, Ohio State? In the mix? Lakers, Celtics? I don't know. You tell me. Hey, going to take a time out. We still have a very important conversation on the other side with former Tennessee State head coach L.C. Cole. They made history in 1998. And you guys need to hear about it. We're going to talk about that after we hear from our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. And, of course, our word from our sponsor. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Anyway. You get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. Check him out on IG and 
course, on SoundCloud. Check him out around Houston. He's a bad, bad man. We certainly appreciate him. You can also leave a message for us, and I will make sure he hears it. DJ Anarchy. But if you have music you want heard on the podcast, just email us. Music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. The genre doesn't matter. We'll play a snippet halfway point, an entire track, or an extended portion of a mix at the end of the show. If you know somebody, if you are that somebody that wants their music exposed to our thousands and thousands of listeners, please hit us up, musicwadeswordproductions.com. About to get into a very important conversation, but I want to tell you this. Thank you so much for the birthday love. Had a birthday last week. You guys came through, and really, I'm humbled by the show of love by everybody. It was wonderful. We certainly, I certainly appreciate it. It meant a lot to me. Complicated stuff around my birthday. Won't get into that. Unless you've listened to past episodes, you may know that. But not getting into that. But complicated issues around my birthday. But nonetheless, had a great birthday. And it was really primarily because of the love that you guys sent my way. Felt that energy. Friday Express Group, the TFE family. Love them. Love all you guys who support me on Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Means the world to me. Before I get into this conversation, one thing I didn't mention with Will Smith. It was something that my dad taught me. I was probably... 18, 19, and I was dating an older woman, and I was, my nose was wide open in the words of, like, Bobby Womack. I was, it was it was a lot. And my dad came to me because I was behaving erratically, doing stuff that I didn't normally do, and he said, hey, man, you ain't over your head. That's a grown woman. <laughs> and I kind of feel that way about, about Will Smith. Hey, man, that's a grown woman you're dealing with. And see, he's wide open, and he was wide open the other night. I feel bad for them, man. I, I I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do about this situation. But, man, we cannot imagine the level of um, criticism and jokes and just critiques all the time. It's something to deal with. But with that, let's get serious. Let's talk about some HBCU history because this is important because – if we don't recognize things about our history, who will? Leonard Moon, our guy, one of my mentors, guy that was really instrumental in, in what I did with TSU football and what I've gone on to do, learned a lot from him, good friend of mine, good mentor, on the road with him for years doing Tiger football. He brought this to my attention. He said, look, the first HBCU to win a predominantly white institution conference, a PWI, you're talking about Tennessee State. So he hooked me up with L.C. Cole, and here is our conversation about the history they made at Tennessee State. For past episodes or more content, go to wadeswordproductions.com. As promised, joined by former head football coach at Tennessee State, L.C. Cole, to talk a little bit about HBCU college football history. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing pretty good. It's a beautiful day. Well, you know, there's a lot of energy and a lot of excitement about HBCUs, and a lot of people are taking time out to learn more about HBCUs. And you talk about the names that, uh, of course, Eddie Robinson and some of the other huge names around HBCU football, but you were a part of creating some HBCU football history as well, talking about what you were able to do by winning the Ohio Valley Conference in 1998 and 1999. For those folks who don't know, what was the significance of those championships in that conference? 
Yeah, sometimes a lot of people kind of forget about those years, but those were the example of what black college could do and what black coaches could do. I think what we did was history, you know, being the first black college to win a championship in an all-white minority conference. And it was a thrill now, and I I would always just say, you know, when I look back at some of the slavery things and and what we had to go through to get where we at today, we had to do that as a football program at Tennessee State. You know, when you're at HBUs, you don't have a lot. You don't have what your predecessors have, you know, nice buses, staying in hotels. And what we had to do was we had to uh, sacrifice, cut corners, but we kept our eye on what we was there for. Well, your first coaching job was at Tennessee State, and you took over a program that had had 10 consecutive losing seasons. They hadn't had much success, let alone success within the conference. Uh, Talk a little bit about the stepping stones you took to build that team. Yeah, we, you know, we first got there, you know, we kind of had to, you know, make shift on a lot of things, you know, like, you know, painting the fields. And, you know, most of the time you have people to do those types of things. But we had had to paint our own fields. We had to create uh, a lot of different things like sleds and, you know, get donations from different people for, you know, footballs and different things like that. But the thing was, is getting a good coaching staff together. I think that was primarily the biggest part. I would always have to give a lot of credit to my brother because he played at HBU. You know, he played at Texas Southern University. And then I played at University of Nebraska. So what we did is we kind of intertwangled black and white colleges together. So that's how we was able to combine things, you know, me listen to him on the necessary needs and things that we needed to progress to be good and where we needed to go. And then I'm coming from University of Nebraska playing for Coach Osborne. I coached for Nick Saban. I was with Bill Belichick. So I had a big background of things that we needed to get this program going to the right direction. But when we was there, we, we changed the culture of everything. I went out and raised a whole lot of money for the program, you know, and got our guys top-notch equipment, top-notch buses. We didn't stay in the hotels on our home games, but what I ended up doing is going to buy a gentleman at Whitman of the World, and Whitman of the World gave us a campground. And the funny thing about it, when we first went out to the campground, our kids asked me, where are we going, Coach? Where are we going on Friday night? I said, don't worry about it. We're going to a luxury hotel. But what I did is I took them to a campground, and then we had cabins all the way around. We had a mess hall. And so that's what we did on Friday nights. Our guys kind of came together, and I think it kind of brought us closer together because – Every cabin had like about six bump beds and then it gave the guys a kind of chance to kind of camaraderie together. And then we got to the mess hall and we kind of ate together. We prayed together and then we did a lot of things. And that morning, the kids would get up and they would go fishing, uh, shooting BB guns, uh, canoeing. And we did a, you know, kind of relax before the game. And so I think that made a big difference in what our program was about. I've heard you talk about building up the program through the weight room. Of course, I can't help but think that that had a lot to do with your background coming from Nebraska because that's sort of what that program was known for, being bigger and stronger than other programs. Is that something that you took with you to Tennessee State? Yes, because I'll tell you what we did. I went to Nebraska and I hired a strength coach from Nebraska. That was the third thing I did. when I first thing was hire my brother. The third thing was to hire a strength coach. And a hard strength coach and just what you just said, that made the biggest difference of us because my first year that we first started, 
we just got pounded. I mean, we got pounded. I'm telling you, it was awful when I seen our team out there. But once I knew what we needed to get and where we was losing the game was, was that category right there. And then we hired a strength coach, and that made a big, big difference. I want to ask you about, of course, since then you've gotten familiar with how a lot of HBCUs do things. What were some of the challenges of being an HBCU in a, an all-white conference otherwise? I think that the biggest deal was when you play the game, you get all those penalties. You know, uh, when we was able to turn around and become a good football program, we always got penalized. We got penalized more than any team in, in, in the Ohio Valley Conference. All four years I was there, we was leading, leading, leading penalties. And I just felt like that wasn't fair. But also, I think the biggest deal was, too, is when we played teams and we beat teams, we always got racial racial slurs and different things at our players and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was kind of tough, but our kids didn't let that bother them. They just kept on playing and kept on playing. I mean, there's a couple of games when we played at Eastern Kentucky. I always just remember shit, the fans, they were spitting down on us, calling us all kind of names and everything like that. So I guess they were trying to intimidate us, but, you know, our guys stayed on focus and, and, and you know, we was able to go ahead and win the game. When you look at the other programs in the Ohio Valley Conference, did they recruit a lot of African-American players? Were there African-American players on their teams? Every team we played, they had just as many minorities on their team than we had on our team. So, yeah, it was a lot of minority guys that went to those those schools, and uh, that's how they were winning. They were getting our type of athletes over there, but we were able to change the culture and change people. The way we recruited, we recruited very professionally. I think the money that we was able to get donated was able for us to go out on the road and recruit good quality athletes. And also when we brought them in on their recruiting weekends, we was able to put them up in a nice hotel, take them out to nice places. And, you know, that helped us out quite a bit. So let's talk about the 1998 season. Of course, you come in a couple of four and seven seasons to start, and then, you, of course, you start to change things and the tide gets rolling for your program. Talk about the energy that went into it, and, and when did you know that this was a, a team that could actually win the conference? Well, when I first came in there, I tell you, in 1998, we had a press conference, and I stood up in the press conference, and I knew that we had put the right puzzles together. We had went out and got a, a kid by the name of Tyrone Butterfield from the University of Michigan. We went out and got and got our quarterback, Leon Murray. He was from Pitt. And we knew we got some other kids from Eastern Michigan and some couple other guys to put the puzzle together. When we went through spring football, I knew that we was at that pivotal year that we could be good. And at that press conference, I stood up in that press conference and and I told them, I said, we're going to win this. We're going to win the Ohio Valley Conference this year. All the reporters looked at me like I was crazy. And some of them started laughing and smirking and everything. But I said, we're going to win the conference and we're going to win it this year. And then we started off. It just was history. Everything just started clicking, like clicking. And when we beat Jackson State, I felt like that was the big turning point of everything because I lost to Jackson State two years in a row. And Jackson State always had a great program. But when we turned around, we beat Jackson State. I knew we was on the right track. So you go through the season. You actually win the conference. But when did you realize that this was historic? When did, when did it hit you or dawn on you that, hey, we've done something no one else has ever done before? When we started going on and started winning and winning and winning, it just dawned on me and my brother and I sitting there and we said, you know what? 
there's never been a black school that has won a, a conference championship in an all-white conference. We always knew that we were a little bit different because if we was we played the best black schools and then we played the best white schools. So, you know, we was felt we was kind of like an elite situation, but we really never did down that this is the first time that a black school has won an all-white conference. And then when we did it, that was the first thing that, you know, it came out. That was our primary goal was to win that conference and be the first ever to do what we did. So after that happened, I'm I'm sure a lot of folks reached out to you. Did you hear a lot from coaches and, and folks from other HBCUs and, and taking pride in that actual accomplishment? You know, you'd be surprised. We <laughs> we didn't really hear anything from anybody. We I was just surprised. But you know, we probably got more praise from our predecessors than we did our own race. You know, I don't know the reason why, but. We got more praise from when we beat all those, beat the white schools because those coaches came to me every time after the games and everything. They said, hey, look, guys, you got a great football team here. You have put together something that uh, nobody's ever did. And the things, how you beat us, we're very, very, very pleased to let you know that you have a great football program here and great players. When you talk about your own fan support, how much did that grow as you guys started to win more and more? Did your fans just pile on to the bandwagon? How was that process? Yeah, that was a that was the biggest plus is that our fans bought in. I mean, we were very supported by our fans. I think Tennessee State has some great, great fans. I think that was the biggest plus plan for Tennessee State. Everywhere we went, the people would go, be at the hotel, or any function we had, people were very involved. And you know, there was a lot of things going on in Nashville, Tennessee, with the Titans coming in there. But we had our own era and place, even though that all those types of things was going on. People were very pleased and very respectful of what our what the program was doing. The student body was very supportive. I could just always remember this. We played Eastern Illinois. And the quarterback, uh, Tony Tony Romo, was the quarterback at East Illinois. And this one, we turned around and we was undefeated. And we were playing them. They had uh, 24 to nothing, 24 to nothing at halftime. And we turned around and came back at halftime. And we scored all those points. And they never scored another again. And we beat Tony Romo. And I always just remember that one because that was a great, great victory because both of us was undefeated. The other thing is I like to say, too, is – even though we were a great football team, football-wise, academically, we had the number one academically guy in the university. And, and that was, you know, I take my pride on about academics because I understand about football. But our team was a very good academic program. I took that team from 20% all the way up to 98% graduation rate. And that's usually always my biggest plus, you know, of our guys being able to do it in the classroom and on the field. So we'll cover something in both ways. So you win in 98 and going into the 99 season, were you like, okay, we're going to prove that we really did earn that. We are really are champions. Or was it like, okay, hey, we have, it's a new year, new students, new players. Uh, we're going to do it again. What, what, were your, what was your outlook going into the 99 season? Well, 99 season, I think we were still loaded. The kids had more confidence than I did because I said, man, everybody's going to be gunning for us now for what we did. But our kids were just so, I'm telling you, it, it, the mindset on them that they felt like nobody could beat them because all the kids were behind them. 
they got playing time because we played everybody and we kept everything going the same. We didn't change anything. We just added more people in. And that's what we did. We had a good we had a good young group of kids when we started that program because we started it from the bottom. So we played with a young a lot of young kids when we were our first two years there, and then we started to add in. See, so you could tell how young our kids was that we were bringing in. But they bought into the program, stayed in the strength coaching. The '98 season, we just was confidence. We we had we had a confidence level. I mean, and that's where we were. We just felt like we couldn't be beat. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention, and, and you alluded to hiring your brother. Your brother was a, a another TSU legend, a Texas Southern legend, Johnny Cole. What has <laughs> what was that like coaching with your brother, and and that sense of hey, we're putting this thing together. What was what was the relationship like, and what was that like working with him? Well, the greatest part with that was is that it's always good that you can work with your brother then, because I was very confident what he could do. Because we you know we both were together at University of Cincinnati together, and then we came together at Tennessee State. But I knew he had that great offensive mind because he was a quarterback at Texas Southern University, and he was coached by a lot of good coaches, and you know put up a lot of good you know records and all that. So it was good to have him in your back pocket. It's nothing like when you got family working with you, and you know that if you ain't there, that he's gonna keep everything on the right track and make sure everything is right. Want to ask you about the landscape of HBCUs now? When you see all this energy and you see the recruiting and some of the success and everybody making big financial contributions, what are your thoughts about the the state of HBCU football around the country? Well, you know, I I think they're going trying to do it in the right direction, but you know, one of the things I would just always say, don't leave your other schools behind and you know what I'm kind of talking about. I know Jackson State is off to the races. I know Tennessee State trying to get off to the to the races and Alabama State don't do it to the races. But I think to keep the conference going and keep it going straight, everybody's got to work together and bring other schools along and just not one school has been a dominant school because what happens is you take the competitiveness out of the conference and there it is one team is just unbalanced if you understand what i'm saying because right now everybody's jackson state jackson state jackson state nobody's talking about nobody else so i just hope that they don't do that and understand that to keep that conference strong everybody gotta you know contribute and help the other weaker schools make sure that they have some of the things that everybody's having that they can do that then it's gonna be it'll be a strong conference and be hard to contend with. Want to ask you about Tennessee State? There was some conversation that they might join the swag, and you're hearing some rumors. What would that be like? Would you recommend that, or would you do you like Tennessee State in the Ohio Valley Conference? Well, you know Tennessee State's in a, a, a tough situation right now because the Ohio Valley is dissolved down to I think about four teams now, bound down to four teams or five teams. So somewhere along the line, uh, either they're gonna have to make a choice to make a choice to get into another conference. But what I felt Tennessee State should have did when we won the two conference championships, we should have went Division One. That's what we. That's where they should have went. They should have followed Middle Tennessee. And went that way because there's more money in Division One. There's those bowls that you can get a chance to go to. So what we need really need to do at Tennessee State was 
to go bigger. And I think, you know, when you go bigger, there's more money in the in the pot. But right now, they're in a real sticky situation because I, I, I look at us when we were there and what made us so great because, and it's sad to say, but the white conference get more publicity. They get in the newspaper. They get the articles and all that. If you look at right now in the SWAC, yeah, one school is getting everything. Nobody else is getting nothing. Well, I want to ask you, uh, as you look back on that time and that, that period, uh, do people still come up to you and, and talk about those times and those championships? Uh, do you hear a lot from that? Do you hear from uh, Eddie George and the current folks over at Tennessee State? No, no, I haven't heard. <laughs> I hate to say it. I haven't heard nothing from Eddie George or anything like that. It's, you know, I, I, I don't try to recommend players to them because I don't have some great players in the high school where I was at in park crossing, but no one's had reached out to me from uh, that Eddie, Eddie George organization. None at all. Your coaching journey is taking you all, all over the place. What are you uh, up to now? And what is the future hold for coach LC Cole? Right now I, I am the defensive coordinator at uh, Allen university in Columbia, South Carolina. We're joining the uh, we're joining the conference with uh, Morehouse, Tuskegee, Miles College. So I'm the defensive coordinator right there right now. That's what I'm doing right now. Well, well, I'm working my way back. That's what I'm doing. Well, Coach, I certainly appreciate the time. In closing, uh, what do you want the folks to really know about that history-making couple of seasons that you guys had at Tennessee State? Well, you know, my thing is, you know, Keep hoping God that we're able to make back black college much stronger the way it used to be. If you look back in the day, you was always Southern was a powerhouse, Grandma was a powerhouse, Alcorn, even Mississippi Valley with Jerry Rice and all that. And that's what I'm just saying. We need to put emphasis in our own conferences and, and try to build those conferences and make the SWAC a big, bigger and better conference. That's what we need to do. Hey, well, Coach, I would certainly appreciate the time and uh, continued success as, uh, of course, folks get the, the word out and, and sort of, if we don't remember our history, who will? No, we don't, you know, because we, we got, just think about it, we got a lot of great coaches. I mean, I, I love what Dion doing, but shit, you can't forget Eddie Robinson and, 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 and all them guys, man. Them guys was a blueprint. You can't forget your history. You have to stay with history how you got there. If you lose the focus of history, then I think you're going to have a tough time because what I don't want to happen is, and, and I'm just saying this, because sometimes some coaches in it for just moving on, moving on, because what happens to Jackson State when Dion goes out the door over at Jackson State? You got to think about that. That could happen now. That, that could happen. Yeah, well, Coach, uh, like I said, it's uh, an interesting time, uh, an exciting time to be a part of SWAC yeah. and HBCU. So it, let's hope that it continues to grow and, and like I said, echoing your sentiments. I agree with you. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for your time and look forward to talking to you again at some point. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. I want to thank Elsie Cole for joining us and giving us uh, some insight into some HBCU history. I want to thank Leonard Moon for helping to make that happen as well. That's the thing about a podcast like this. You get some history and you get the latest 
all of that and some DJ mixing and some sports entertainment, all of that. So we just want to continue to bring you great stories, great information, and great topics for conversation. So with that, before I let go. Before I let go. Before I let go. Hey, want to thank you guys for tuning in. Want to thank Elsie Cole. Want to thank Daniel Ewing. Want to thank Life on Lock. Want to thank DJ Anarchy. Want to thank our sponsors. Of course, want to thank you guys for tuning in. Want to remind you, you can check us out and be a part of the group on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group and the fan page. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Wade's Word. And of course, you can call us on the sports line 24 hours a day, 832. 832- 9416614832941614 and if you can't remember anything else please remember these four things number 1 i don't do no favors after 6 o'clock in the evening 2 i ain't got no money 3 i'm not harboring any fugitives from justice and 4 bye <laughs> This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.